Welcome to the Retirement Pilot with Steve Hoover. Please discard unnecessary fees and expenses before going through security. Check your emergency fund at the gate and securely stow your well-conceived portfolio in the overhead bin. And when we reach cruising altitude, remember, you are now free to move about retirement. Welcome into the Retirement Pilot, everybody. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. As always, we appreciate your time with Steve and I as we talk investing, finance, retirement. And we're going to do a little what's the difference this uh, this go around on the podcast. A lot of people, Steve, get confused about some of these terms. I don't know, maybe they don't understand the two or they, they hear them so often, sometimes they get a little interchangeable and they can trip up on this stuff. So obviously you deal with this day in and day out. I thought it'd be a good time to you know, kind of uh, boil them down a little bit and explain some of these things. So that's the idea for the podcast this week. How you doing, my friend? I'm doing great. Thanks, Mark. Good, good. Good to have you on. We were just chatting about uh, enjoying the Chiefs Super Bowl victory. So as a big Chiefs fan, lifelong Chiefs fan, I know you were a happy guy. So that's always I good. I was very, very, very happy. And <laughs> we'll what we can do uh, this coming year. That's right. And your wife is happy that football season is over. So That's right. Yeah. That's right. Everybody's happy in the Hoover household at this moment. So. <laughs> well, let's jump in and break some of these down, buddy. Um, we're going to start with a, a really uh, one that people just are talking about a lot lately, last couple of years, and it's Roth conversions, and they trip those up over Roth contributions. Two different animals. Uh, so let's explain the differences of these, please. Okay. Let's, let's start with Roth contributions. Okay. Roth contribution is basically where you set up a Roth IRA where you're putting money that's already been taxed into it. And once you put that money in, you can always get the amount you put in back. The only qualification to make the earnings tax-free, you have to have a Roth IRA set up for at least five years. So you could have set this Roth IRA up back in 2000, and then you decide to fund another Roth IRA. You've satisfied that five years once you did that. Gotcha. Any money that goes into that Roth, the, the amount you contribute is always available to you tax-free, penalty-free, even if you're under 59 and a half. And as long as the you have had a Roth uh, for five years, no matter when it was, the earnings or the what you gain on it is also income tax-free. Okay. Now, a Roth conversion works a little differently. That's where you take a IRA that you've gone ahead and taken a tax deduction for, and you go ahead and decide to convert it, and you convert it to a Roth. Well, there's some things you have to understand. One, you're going to pay taxes on the conversion amount, which mm -hmm. is obvious. Right. Number two, you have a five-year waiting period before you can get to the earnings or the interest income tax-free. Once you move it. Once you move it. Okay. So, and, and the other part is, that's what we call a cliff vesting. So in other words, if you convert $100,000 worth of a uh, Roth, uh, IRA to a Roth, mm -hmm. the 100000 is available to you anytime. Once you've converted it, because you're going to pay taxes on it. But let's say you converted it and you got lucky and it, in the first year you made $50,000. So the account is now worth one hundred and fifty. dollars Well, 100 of that you can take out anytime you want because you paid the taxes on it. The 50000 has to stay in there for five full years until they become income tax-free. The other issue with a Roth conversion is each time you convert, you set a new five-year vesting schedule. 
So unlike a Roth contribution, as long as you have just one Roth IRA that maybe you put $50 in in 2003, you've satisfied the five years. Yeah. So it, it works that way. Now there are a couple of differences. Number one, on a Roth contribution, there are income limitations. If you married couple making over a couple hundred grand, can't put the full amount in a contribution to 7,500 if you're over uh, 50, 65 if you're under 50. So there are some con- some restrictions on that. Now that's where you know people the confusion comes in a little bit because people hear about. Uh, folks saying, well, I make too much to contribute to a Roth, but I am going to do a conversion, right? So what they're talking about in this situation, Steve, is they're probably convert, they're probably putting money in a, a 401k or even a traditional IRA, and then they're converting it to Roth dollars. They're paying the taxes now uh, for the tax animal we know in the tax rates that we're currently in versus what it might be, let's say, in 20 years when they decide to retire or whatever. That's correct. Yeah. And so that's kind of just a it's a workaround. If so, and that's why conversions have been a big popular conversation piece. Again, really since 2017, at the low tax rates that we're in, uh, people saying, "Hey, look, you got a you know a million bucks in in a 401k, and you're getting closer and closer to retirement. Uh, you're going to start have to you know, or you're getting closer and closer to the RMD age where you have to start pulling that money out. Maybe we should start a tax efficient strategy of moving some of these funds over. And you have to do that smartly. You don't want to just convert you know a million dollars at one time, obviously. That's correct. It takes a plan. And just to be frank, it doesn't work for everyone. Right. Conversion. Um, Very true. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. The conversion doesn't work for everyone because there's there's a variety of different issues that come up with it. Mm -hmm. So, but the contributions, if you're able to, that's the best way. The workaround for a contribution to a Roth, let's say you you and your spouse make $250,000 a year. Okay. But you can't do a Roth contribution that year, but you can contribute to a Roth 401k. I was going to say, let's add the new wrinkle, right? That's becoming more and more popular now. That's right. And it doesn't have income limitations. So you're able to get money into a Roth, which is a great thing to do, but um, you you don't have the income limitation or that you have on a Roth contribution side. So that's one of the workarounds that we can get on that. So- yeah, so that's a great point as well, and, and they because they haven't been around that long. The, the ability to do Roths uh, in a four, you know, the Roth four hundred one k, and more and more employers are, are certainly offering that now. So it's certainly worth asking. So hopefully that clarifies a little bit uh, the difference between those two. Let's see if we can do one or two more here on the podcast. There's so many we could spend time doing on this. We could turn this into multiple episodes, but we'll go through some of the big ones that we hear a lot about. Uh, insurance. So term life and permanent life, it's kind of there, like term, right? Permanent, it kind of makes a lot of sense. But I think what throws another wrinkle in that, Steve, is when people hear terms like universal or whole. So what's the difference in term life and permanent life? And then can you kind of give us a little bit on the uh, the universal and the whole as well? Sure. Term life is just basically renting insurance. So in other words, you can rent it for five years, 10 years, 15 years, or 20 years. And what that means is you're basically going to be paying a premium, the same premium every single year for that rental period. So in other words, if you do a 20-year level premium term policy for a million dollars and the premium is $1,000 a year, you're going to pay $1,000 a year each year for the next 20 years. Mm -hmm. If it's a 10-year term, you pay $500 a year for the next 10 years, et cetera. So you're basically renting the insurance. You're betting on the fact that you're, or you're insuring the fact that if you die within that term period, 
then your family's going to get the benefits. And Steve, so, basically, term insurance is used for that, right? It's used for the death benefit. I mean, we'd call it death insurance, but nobody would buy it with that name, right? That's correct. All yeah. you're doing is trying to cover something. So yeah. you've got a 20-year level term. That means you're insured for 20 years. You're going to pay the same premium every year for 20 years. Now, once you get past 20 years, you can continue to pay whatever the premium is, but it may go up to $20,000 a year or $30,000 a year. So that's, as I said, you're kind of renting the insurance at that point. Permanent insurance is a little different. It just means that it's permanent insurance. It's going to last your life. Now, you don't pay as little as you do on a term policy. You pay quite a bit more, but you also have a little bucket over there that's gaining what's called cash value. So the premium you put in, some goes to pay for the cost of insurance. The other part goes into a bucket that's going to earn interest. That's the cash value. So as long as you make those premium payments and as long as there's enough cash value in there, you will have insurance until you're 100. Some go out to 120 years now. So it's permanent coverage. Gotcha. So then when you hear terms like universal, is that still a type of permanent? It is. And it all it has to do is how they're going to credit interest. See, okay. on a term policy, you don't get any interest. You don't get anything. Mm-hmm. You just basically bought the death benefit. With a universal life policy or a index universal life policy, those just credit interest different ways gotcha. to okay. cash value. Gotcha. Okay. So, yeah. And so, again, life insurance... You know, there's different points of what you're going to try to use it for. So at t- different times and stages of our life, you may find, you know, that insurance is still needed. Many times retirees go, well, why do I need this anymore? I don't need to insure the kids. They're all grown. Or, you know, my like what we would typically get it for when we're working and something happened to us, we could pay off the house and put the kids through school. You know, as a 70-year-old, you may think you not need it, but there's other reasons that it may be a beneficial part of your plan. And again, it's just a part of your plan. So something to certainly consider there. Uh, let's do qualified accounts versus non-qualified. I, I hear people say, well, what are they qualifying for? <laughs> so this is a pretty easy, quick one, I think. Yeah. Qualified is basically think of your retirement accounts. Those are qualified. They qualify for tax benefits. That's what it is, right? They're qualifying right. to say, hey, here's some money to the government. <laughs> That's right. Non-qualified <laughs> means those are like brokerage accounts uh, that you put taxed money into. You could even say a savings account is a is a non-qualified account because it doesn't qualify for any tax breaks. You're paying taxes currently on it. So that's basically just to make it sound right. Qualified means you got the qualifying of some tax issues like on our IRAs, 401ks, 403bs. Gotcha. Non-qualified, you're paying taxes uh, typically in the year that you get any kind of earnings or you get interest or dividends. We think of like money market, cash accounts, things like that. Yeah. Uh, Savings accounts, yeah. Okay. Uh, Let's see. How about 60-day rollover versus trustee-to-trustee rollover? Great point. Um, A 60-day rollover basically means this. You take from a a retirement account, an IRA, you actually take possession of a check from from the account, and you have 60 days to get that back into an IRA, to another IRA. So in other words, let's say you take uh, from from IRA A, you take $100,000. They send you a check for $100,000. Mm-hmm. You then have to take that $100,000 and get it into another IRA, or you can put it back into the same IRA, but you have to do that within 60 days. If and not, if, that's when you get hit, right? If not, if you go 61 days, it's all taxable to you. Yep. 
Here's where people get tripped up on that. They get tripped up on the fact that you get to do that one time within a 12-month period. And it's not calendar. It's the day you receive the money. So in other words, let's say you get the check on February 28th. You have 60 days to get that back into another IRA or the same IRA. Mm -hmm. All right. That pays no taxes. You cannot do anything like that again until February 28th of the following year. Correct. You get it one time. You can't do multiple. They used to be able to do multiples. You get to do it one time. And as I said, it's not January to December. It's whenever you get the money, it's a full 12 months to that period. Okay. Now, a trustee to trustee means you don't take possession of the money. The money is sent from a trustee, let's say Charles Schwab IRA. You're trusting to Fidelity IRA. Yeah. Custodian to custodian also is another term. Yeah. Yeah. Another term, custodian, custodian. You never touch the money. Even if you do get the check, the check's going to be made out to the name of the new custodian, whether it's Fidelity, Schwab, whoever. Right. F. B-O, for benefit of your name. You can't cash it. Right. All right. That avoids all that. And you can do multiple of those throughout the year. You're not limited to one. You can do multiple trustee to trustee transfers. It seems to me, Steve, that that just takes a whole lot of mess out of your hands as the individual, which, I mean, I hear many advisors say 98% of the time, that's what they're doing is is for clients or whatever the case is, is trustee to trustee versus the, the 60 day. It is. And one of the, the, there has been an issue. I read this, I don't know, this was a few years ago. Somebody had taken a 60 day, they needed money for like 30 days. And then they knew they were going to get it back in because they needed to. Boy, that's a dangerous float, but yeah. Oh, it was. So they take the money and this was a court case. They take the money thinking they're going to get it, use it for 30 days and then get it back in, in, in another 30. Well, the problem is they got into a car wreck. Mm, and they were incapacitated for a week or two and forgot about it until about uh, 90, 120 days later. Like, oh, my gosh, yeah. what am I going to do? And lo and behold, the IRS was like, no, you took the money out. You didn't get back in. That's fully taxable to you. And that's going to happen on your on the next filing status. That's right. Yeah. yeah so so big be very fun. careful when you do that, when you take the check. You got to turn it around and get it back into an IRA as soon as you can. Yeah, big fun. Hmm, not not fun at all, actually. No, not fun at all. Because you, you, you know, it's all taxable to you. Yeah. All right, last one, Steve. Uh, individual bonds versus bond fund. Individual bonds just mean that. You've bought a bond. You bought a bond, a $100 face value yeah, bond. You're, you're loaning money to company A. Right. The individual bond. So that's what a bond is. You're loaning money versus a stock, right? And right. Uh, and yeah, so that's pretty simple. But where people get confused, I think, is the point of using individual bonds and versus a bond fund. So first, what's a bond fund? And then kind of what's the point? How do you use the two of them? A bond fund basically will have a multitude of maturities. It might have a five-year bond, three-year bond, a 10-year, 30-year. They have a mix of bonds in there. Because interest rates affect the value of bonds. It's a it's a community pool. Right. Yeah. And so you, you may have a bond fund, which what most people have is because they get a variety of different uh, maturities and interest rates and things of that nature. So they get a lot of diversification. If you buy an individual bond, you're buying an individual bond and it's subject to 
current interest rates. So in other words, let's say you bought a, an individual bond two years ago. Well, the value of that bond, if you wanted to go cash it in right now, is going to be less than what you paid for it because interest rates have gone up. So nobody's going to buy that bond from you. You have to wait. You can have to, or your maturity, or you're going to have to take it at a loss. Correct. Yeah. So if you bought a 20 year bond, which is what a lot of people did because they could eke out maybe 2% interest a year. Well, now interest are 6%. Well, nobody's going to pay you full price for that bond. Right. Well, you're, they're only going to get 2%. They may pay you half of what that bond is worth. So, so you might as well just sit on it. The, yeah. Yeah. That's the, that's the risk you take with an individual bond when we had, you know, historically low interest rates. If you have a bond fund, you have a mixture of all those. Some are, are maturing and can be reinvested back into new interest rate bonds, et cetera. So you, you're basically getting a, a diversified portfolio of bonds. Yeah. Okay. And of course, with the bond market taking a, a beating in 22, just the same as the stock market did, uh, many people that the tried and true of a 60-40 and going to more bonds for safety as we age didn't necessarily play out the way, you know, that that way. So you want to make sure, again, a complete strategy is not just any one or two items. It's multiple things. And so that was the idea behind the podcast today is to explain some of the differences on these different kind of terms that we hear so that we don't get tripped up on them. So Thanks, Steve, for hanging out and doing that. I appreciate it. Anything you want to share before we go? Nope. That's all good. Yep. Okay. If you guys got questions, you need some help, that's what Steve's here for. He can break it all down like he did today. Great job uh, explaining the differences. And if you need some help with any of these items, like a conversion, a Roth conversion, or understanding what kind of insurance might be right for you or whatever the case is, reach out to Steve, have a conversation, get onto his calendar. If you're not already working with him, find him online at wealthpartnerskc.com. That's wealthpartnerskc.com. Dot com. You can also reach out to him at 913-685-3207. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, excuse me, whatever platform you like to use. Just type in the retirement pilot and you can find it that way. We'll appreciate your time. We'll see you next time here on the podcast. Steve, have a great week, buddy. You too, Mark. Thanks. We'll catch you next time here on the podcast. This has been the retirement pilot. Information is for illustrative purposes only and does not constitute tax, investment, or legal advice. Always consult with a qualified investment, legal, or tax professional before taking any action.